Jane. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finua of Tifunganuiatara, where I'm recording today. Whoop whoop! Big week, baby! Big week! And another week closer to Christmas. Bring it on. I am ready. I'm glad you're ready. I haven't ordered any of the Christmas presents that I usually order. And everybody's talking about something global supply chain. So I better get on that. Um, Yeah, that is also my excuse now for not being productive at work. I'm just like, oh, the global supply chain is completely messed up. I'm sorry. (laughs) So did you have a moment of wonder this week? I did. I went to the theatre on Tuesday with my friend Hannah. Um, and that was really fun. Like, mm. I don't go to the theatre a lot here. It's just not that many shows, I guess. Mm. But um, we went to see this show called Live Through This, which is basically two per- two one-person shows with an intermission in between. Um, and they were both really good. But the second performance, which was called Change Your Life by Gene Sargent. Sargent, hey. hey. It was actually just phenomenal, like hair-raisingly good. It was such a good show. It was all about loss and grief and rediscovering yourself through those difficult moments. Mm-hmm. And there was this one line when, you know, she was talking about the fact that she, because she had been through so much, she knew that she could get through anything and she wished she'd never had to go through so much. But because yeah. she had, she was, she could weather a storm. She hoped she didn't have to, but she could. And it just like really spoke to me on so many levels. And yeah, I loved it. It felt like a sermon in a way, you know, it was like a non-churchy yeah. sermon. Um Yeah, I just love art. I love that about art, that you can have this really profound, life-changing moment simply by experiencing something. Like, all I had to do was go and sit there, and it was truly, like, amazing. And I text, like, I messaged her on Instagram afterwards to just be like, just so you know, this was incredible, and I loved it. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, what was your moment of wonder this week? Tell me all about it. Oh, you know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I cracked 10K, finally. So I was running, I thought... I actually texted you to tell you about this, but I was like, oh, I need new dishes. And then I was like, but it's really cold and rainy. I should go for a run. And I was like, okay, I'll go for a run. Like I was like kind of not feeling it, but I started out and I thought, oh, I want to know how long my new route, because I have a slightly longer route now, how long my new route is if I put it together with my old route. So I did that. And by the time I got to my front door, I was at like nine and a half. Mm. And I was like, I can keep going. I can get to 10 today. So I went around an oval a couple of times and I made it and I, it was just amazing. I couldn't believe it I ran continuously without stopping for 75 minutes you are amazing because I was just listening back to some of our old episodes and there was one where I was talking about marathon training and you said you couldn't even imagine running 10k and now look at you and that's in the same year that's amazing (laughs) I only started in March I told myself I would run through winter like autumn and winter and that as soon as it warmed up again I I had permission to stop Um, and I haven't stopped yet so I'm just waiting for the cool rainy days you're amazing good work I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. I'm proud of me too. I can't believe I did it. I wanted to be able to run 10K for like more than 10 years. And it always felt super impossible. Now I have done it so I can eat all the ice cream I want forever. The end. That's how it works. That's true. (laughs) Um, This week we're reading chapters 30 to 34 through the theme of presence, which is a lot. So do you have a little story for us? It was actually really hard for me to think of a story for this because I wasn't sure which like definition mm. I would go with. I don't believe in ghosts. 
I just don't. And I don't really have, like, anything dramatically different to say about what happens to our souls or essence or whatever <laughs> when we shuffle this mortal coil, except that I don't believe in ghosts. So I was like, how do I explain? Like, what do I talk about? And then I thought maybe I would talk about, like, being present in my day-to-day -day life because it's something that I struggle with. But y'all have heard me bang on about ADHD plenty. So <laughs> I had I really sat down and I was thinking about it. And then I realized that the last time I told a story, I was talking about how my mom used to play this game with us called Let's Go Find Dad. Mm. And that, that actually ties in really well with presence because you can't really talk about presence without talking about the inverse of presence, which is absence. So while my mother was doing this, she was giving us this incredible sense of adventure and, like, going places. What was really implicit in the story was that my dad wasn't actually there for the day-to-day -day life of mm. his wife and kids for, like, a good 10 years and probably more. So he didn't do bedtime three to four times a week like my husband does for our kids. Um, he didn't have to organize emergency childcare the time that my sister Janica sliced her fingers open on an ancient kitchen appliance and had to be rushed to urgent care. Getting a babysitter fell to me. Mm. Um, when my mom had a migraine, she doesn't get to just go to bed like I do when I have a migraine because there wasn't someone else there. She was pretty much on her own for most of that. And that makes me really sad to think about because my parents really like each other. They like each other a lot. They love each other so much that I honestly thought I would not get married because I didn't believe that anyone else could feel that way aside from those two people. I thought they were like the epitome of what love looked like. But then I did meet a person that I loved that much and who loves me that much and he was on another continent <laughs> so we began this relationship in like the absence of each other's physical presence we literally could not be together because we were in two different places in some ways that was really good because we got to like talk a lot and connect on that discussion conversation what do you like what do you not like what are your hopes dreams goals but on the other hand like after we had fallen in love and we realized that like it was actually the thing that we needed to do we had to be together being in each other's presence became the priority and somebody had to move and that became me. And it was the easiest choice I ever made in my life. And it wasn't easy at all. I did leave everyone that I knew and everything that I knew. I walked away from a job that I loved and a community that I had chosen and flourished in. And I did it because I wanted to be with him. And everything was scary, but being with him, being present in that relationship was the most important thing. And it has really, really borne out in my life. And I just think there's so many ways that I've chosen presence. I could have gone back to work after my kids were born, but I wanted to be there for them. And yeah, my superannuation is in shambles, but every time I can be there for my kids, I am. And I really like that. I like that they have that parent always there when when they need me. Um, I think that maybe presence is important. Showing up is important. Being there for the people you care about is a huge effort. And sometimes it's even a great sacrifice, but it is worth it. That's so lovely. It's just like reminds me of you know, when someone is going through something tough and people say, all you have to do is be yeah. there for them. You know, just be there. You don't have to have the answers or know exactly. everything. Just be there. Just showing effort. Showing up and showing yeah. effort is really most of it, right? Yeah. Oh, what a lovely story. But you make me believe in love. <laughs> you should. Love is real. But it doesn't look like the same thing for everyone. I'm very... Very particular about that. That is true. Love is having someone to sit next to at a party mm. who will talk to you and not ignore you and will take your hand. Not drop it. That was the worst thing. Taylor Swift knows what love is. She does. She also knows what love isn't. Can you tell that we're reeling from <laughs> this video? <laughs> yeah. We, all too well came out last night, people. Yeah. We're not okay. Fast. It's been gift. Been waiting for it. It's been a long time. A long time coming. The myth, the legend. It's finally here. It's a 10 minute all too well. Run and hide, Jake Gyllenhaal. Run and hide. We will put a link in the show notes because it is very well worth your time. Yeah, it's lovely and sad. <sighs> well, 
Shall I do some chapter summaries? Yes, please. This There was a lot. Big old section. So we've got Blue grieving Noah. Neve is creepy. Gansey pulls some strings to fix things for Ronan, who finally offers Blue an in with an invitation to hold his fledgling raven. Chainsaw, who I love. Um, Welk waylays Gansey in a low moment and Persephone, Keller and Blue go hunting through Neve's rooms for answers. So yeah, a lot. So much happens. <laughs> I was excited about this and I remember assigning this like presence to this chapter because we get Noah the ghost as we know he's a ghost yeah so ghost watch has ended and we have now got ghost confirmation and so as the theme is presence Noah is obviously mm. the biggest mm-hmm. presence in this section right I think both is something that exists but isn't seen if we take that exist like that definition yeah. of presence because sometimes he's not just corporeal. knocks things over um but he also just takes up space yeah. in everyone's thoughts though so he's like constantly present yeah. in all of their lives I thought it was really lovely of Blue to just be like, well, just take my hand because like if it's what mm. helps you to become corporeal enough to have a conversation. There was another presence that came up in definition, like presence of mind as in sensibility. Oh, yeah. And that's something that Blue <laughs> is always very upset when people think she's sensible. She's like, oh, that word again. I'm trying to be eccentric. But like maybe it's good to have that presence of mind. Maybe it's good to be sensible. Someone has to be. A sensible teenager sounds like a great thing. Give it to me. All of the sensible teens. I love them. I was never able to be sensible. I'm too impulsive. I love friendship groups where one is sensible. I think that's very important that someone is responsible. Someone's reading the speed limit signs and telling the person driving to slow down. You've got that in Gansey too, right? Like he's quite sensible and responsible for the most part. He really wants to be mad at Ronan. He really wants to, but he just can't break the law. And I love it. Yeah, I love that. I'm like, Ronan would be so on board with this behavior, but then he pulls Mm. himself back and yeah, he doesn't want to go speeding through the little town. What if he hit someone? He'd never forgive himself. No, he wouldn't. But neither would Ronan. Yeah, but Ronan would not act like it. It's different. I thought, like, you know, in that moment where Gansey is, like, trying to race and then pulling himself up and then he says, you know, he has that quote about Ronan, about, you know, Ronan doesn't have boundaries. He doesn't fear anything. He has no limits. And I'm like, that's not true. It's actually just not true. That's just what you see. You see what Ronan Mm. wants you to see. But Gansey also sees what Adam wants him to see, which is this idea of a self-contained, rough around the edges, but extremely powerful person. Whereas Adam Mm. is also a gigantic mess. Yeah, I kind of love that Gansey wants to be Adam and Adam wants to be Gansey. I'm like, you two do my head in. Just love each other for what you're not and love yourselves for what you are. It's okay. I thought it was great that Declan turned up and um, Adam wouldn't let him in because Gansey's presence is required for them to talk. I kind of mark that as well, this idea that, you know, so much of the group's lives depend on Gansey's mm-hmm. physical presence. Like, he is the catalyst and the balance to everything they do. Without them, they're sort of just lost. Like, Adam is haunting Monmouth yeah. because no one's around, because Gansey's not giving them a task. And yeah, and when he's away, everyone is just off-center, and Declan and Ronan can't interact with each other without him, right? There's no plan, so Blue just kind of turns up, waits around outside for a bit, and then has to knock on the door. She's never been up before because they've always had something to do or somewhere to go. Like Yeah. I also love Declan's physical presence yes. being different. You know, like Adam remarks on him wearing jeans and looking younger. And I just thought of that moment in Carry On when Simon turns up at Baz's house and he's like, Baz, you're wearing jeans. <laughs> so good. Oh, Declan, you little politician. You've let your little mask drop because you're so mad at Ronan. I love that he's actually angry. And I think it's really important. That's a really good section with Adam. And I'd love to touch on Adam talking about Ronan's responsibility here because he tells Declan that Ronan has to be present in his own decisions. He has to be responsible for himself. If he wants to stay in Aglenby, if he wants to be present in Aglenby, then he that depends on his own efforts. It's not up to Gansey. And the fact that Adam has to say this to Declan, like, no, it's your brother who's screwing his own life up. It's not Gansey's job to keep him on some sort of 
accountability meter for you. I'm so glad someone finally said it to Declan because no one's letting Ronan just be responsible for his own actions, really. I actually really love this scene and I love it not just because of what it does in this section but because what it does later on like what we see in the Dreamer trilogy right Adam says in this section he has to pick for himself and this is exactly what we see later on Adam always lets Ronan pick for himself he'll let him make mistakes and he'll just like let him do everything else and it's so so different to everyone else in Ronan's life who's just always trying to steer him one way or another and Adam just lets him be and I just love it and this is why I get angry when people like talk about the Dreamer trilogy like everyone's acting very out of character and I'm like they're really not like they're really not what's happening is Gansey's not there and Ronan is being Ronan with consequences which is the same in this section you know when Declan's like if there's no Aglenby there's no Monmouth and Adam says well well he thinks you know then you've killed him he couldn't imagine Ronan without Gansey and this is exactly yep. what we see play out later again we see Ronan without Gansey and how he can't he cope. needs Gansey although that's a whole other podcast yes. for me to unpack that <laughs> we can talk about that later when that trilogy's wrapped up and we're not hurting or maybe we're hurting more I'm not sure um I want to talk about Neve's presence yeah please do she's creepy she's got vibes like when Blue comes down and she's just sitting in the kitchen and she's camouflaged against the curtains I can't help but feel she did that on purpose like she's on purpose being weird right and she's all mysterious and she's got bad vibes in her room there's definitely a a presence in her room that Blue remarks on um Neve also introduces an external presence right like she talks to blue about you know if you go looking for a god you have to watch for the devil didn't you expect there was also a devil which i find so interesting like she's so aware of this like occult presence and she's playing with forces that she doesn't really understand it made me feel sad because she's not actually clear enough on anything and she's so creepy that no one wants to stay and talk to her to find out what's going on yeah you just want to clear the room right blue certainly does yeah she's very unnerved by neve and i think for good reason because we find out later in the in the attic room she's really made it her own like she's infused it with her presence hasn't she like Mm. she's decorated it and she's got yeah in there to ward off visions or nightmares or whatever she's got her little creepy soul in a bottle mirror set up and yeah the mirrors really do a number on me because it reminds me of when i was little my parents had this like, I guess it was two wardrobes that you had to walk past to get to their bathroom, their ensuite. And this is our house in South Africa. And they had the glass sliding doors. But because they were facing each other, you had this, yeah. you know, the infinity of the mirrors. And it always made me so unsettled as a kid. I would go sit there and just, like, look at these infinite gems going back and back. And something Ooh. about it always creeped me out, right? There's something uncanny about it. So reading about these mirrors facing each other in Neve's attic room, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's creepy. Mirrors are creepy. Um, I wanted to chat about a little bit about Gansey's presence and how he actually, because mm. for one, he's he talks about himself as being two people. Um, but I think he's really present in all of these chapters, even when he's not there. So like his Monmouth manufacturing is like the representation of him. His journal is a representation of him. Blue even comments that it looked like the house of a mad inventor or an obsessed scholar or a very messy explorer. After meeting Gansey, she was beginning to suspect that he was all of these things, which he is. And mm-hmm. the journal, especially when it's taken away from him by Welk, oh, you know, he no. it's treated in the text as if it's like this huge violation of self. It's something that was taken mm-hmm. from him by force. Yeah. Like on page 315, the journal weighted his hands. He didn't need it. He knew everything in it, but it was him. He was giving everything that he worked for away. And it reminded me of when, you know, he, they were in the helicopter and he was holding the journal because yeah. he wanted Blue to see him. He wanted her to see that it was him like an italic like, this is what i am this is who i am this is what i believe in and do and i'm not present in cell phone or a neurotic mess like i'm actually more than that 
I love that his self-awareness, mm. even in that really fraught moment, is, I don't want to give this away. Like, of course I will because I value my life, but I don't want to give this away because this is the physical representation of my inner self. What I found really telling in that scene with Wealth is when he says, you know, you don't have to do this. You could just have asked. Yeah. None of it was a secret. Wealth just fundamentally misunderstands Gansey. Like, he thinks Gansey is like he is, and they couldn't be more different, right? They, they don't really have anything in common. Yeah. And Welk is so dismissive of everything that Gansey is. It's just it's horrible. I saw a lot of similarities between Welk and Adam. There are a few similarities mm. that really got to me. And I kept thinking like, oh, no, he's not at all like Gansey. Like, of course, Gansey wouldn't know what to do with this. That's not who he is. He doesn't care about the trappings of his father's wealth. Like, he doesn't use it to make his life better. He just uses it to go and do stuff. But, like, he takes it for granted. He's not aware of it in the way that Welk really is aware I don't know. But like Adam having that eternal awareness and that grudge against Gansey for being wealthy, they share that. They do. But Welk has it because he had it taken away from him, right? And Adam has it because he sees it as a barrier for him living the life Mm -hmm. he wants to live. Adam is so good at making connections. Like he is just so sharp. Like he makes the connection between Noah's body Mm -hmm. and the ley line. Like maybe it's because we moved the body that he's no longer so present. The car they found, he's like, we shouldn't tell the police because then it becomes too complicated, too public. He makes the connection between Noah and Gansey's deaths almost immediately. Um, Even the situation with Ronan, right? Like Declan has come in and immediately Adam's doing the math in his head being like what does this mean and he wants to maybe not tell Gansey yeah. but of course he'll tell Gansey like he can't let himself not help yeah such a little Slytherin yes a little Slytherin oh buddy. such a Slytherin I think that moment where he contemplates not giving Gansey the letter until it's too late where he thinks about it that was a really telling moment for me that's how you know that they are so invested in each other's lives I think it says something about Gansey's love for his friends that he's just trying to make their lives better and he really wants Ronan to have choices like this Mm. is what I see that as it's not go to Aglamy it's get through school so that you can tick that box because the life the society we live in requires you to tick that box before you can do anything else like that is just a fact of being an American school kid right you got to finish high school and all he's trying to do is just get him over that line and keep him close so he can make sure he's okay because he's you know at this point we don't know that Ronan isn't suicidal Gansey is worried constantly for his friend Mm. so he's like I just have to drag him through with me and I can do it but I just need like more grace and he has to pay for it he has to bribe a teacher to get that grace and he's disgusted by himself but I think it's really beautiful because he's he's doing what he needs to do Yeah, I originally read it like that, and then I've sort of kind of Mm. been thinking about it a little more. And I think the bride benefits Gansey more than it benefits Ronan. I think, you know, Adam makes that comment about Gansey wanting all his things under one roof, and I think that's very unfair. I don't think that's true. Like, I don't think Gansey instrumentalizes people that way. He genuinely cares about people, but he also needs them. I don't actually know how I feel about everyone insisting on Ronan finishing school. Like, Gansey dresses it up like he's doing him a massive favor, but I don't know if it wouldn't just be better to let Ronan out like he doesn't need school he's wealthy enough that if he didn't finish school that would be fine you know he's not going to suffer in life you know Gansey on page 310 says how hard could it be to make it through another year of school I think for Ronan actually really hard I think they underestimate how hard this is for him making him do this thing you know the guidance counselor says he makes that comment about maybe we're not the right place for Ronan or we don't yeah I don't know I have mixed feelings about it I mean I might agree but Ronan is actually at this point just kind of being a jerk 
<laughs> like he knows he could do it and this is what really yeah. gets me is that he could do it and he doesn't have to put in very much effort at all he's smart enough yeah <laughs> look at the latin right like he's fully capable yeah for me what it says is that he's acting out rather than because if it's that easy for him and it is that easy because he's able to pull himself up at the end then he doesn't do it because he's trying to make a statement about something and i get that he's not happy there but i don't think he'd be happy in any other school but it is no. also like there's something to be said for doing the hard thing like this will give you resilience mm. getting through high school even if you hate it will give you resilience to get through other situations in your life that are difficult like you kind of need the experience in something that's low stakes in order to survive the higher stakes stuff yeah absolutely and it's one of the things that i fundamentally struggle with the most because i was a higher achiever at school and i never had to struggle for anything and that i had to my resilience was non-existent i give up when things are hard because yeah. i'm like effort i don't want to do this this is difficult (laughs) so there definitely is something you have to learn i love ronan's presence at school like he takes up space without ever actually attending like gansey has that line about you know the guidance counselor didn't need any time to put a face to that name like everyone knows who ronan is even though he doesn't go to school the problem child my favorite kind I like to think of Ronan's kindness or his like maybe ability to love and heal is coming back because of Chainsaw. Like the presence of his heart is due to Mm. Chainsaw. Just love that line so Mm. much. Page 304. Ronan's smile cut his face, but he looked kinder than Blue had ever seen him. Like a raven in his hands was his heart finally laid bare. And I love that Blue wanted to hold the bird and was like, wait, no, why are you taking her away? I want to. Like she didn't even know if she wanted to, but she was like, I can't not accept this because this is like the first thing that Ronan has ever offered. I love that her immediate reaction was, oh, wait, I've got to make this work. I love that. And she talked about it being, you know, frightening and beautiful. I'm like, just like (laughs) Ronan. Um, Do you think Ronan was listening to that conversation that Adam and Blue were having? I think he knew the context of it. I think he turned up at the right time for sure. Like, Blue was relieved that he was there Mm. when they were talking about kissing because it stopped all of the talking about kissing. Like, his presence put paid to the talk of kissing. Um, I love that line where she's like, he gave a heavy sigh as if he's been part of the conversation and didn't care for it. That's why I thought maybe he had been listening and he's like, oh, I need to go rescue these two from themselves. I like that Blue and Adam are both at that point where they're kind of exploring the possibility of a romantic relationship, but it isn't actually like gelling. Mm. There are a lot of relationships that are like that. Like you like someone enough, but like, do you really like like and then you don't know. I did love the kind of presence between them. You know, how when you really like someone, yeah. you're just hyper aware of where they are in the room. And so I love that like little description you got of them. You know, on page 300, she said he was not looking at her, but there was something about his yeah. posture that betrayed his awareness of her. Like, you know, this idea that you could feel you could feel the other person, even though you're not touching. I love that. I did too. I like that a lot. And I like that he was showing her all of the cool things. I thought there was an interesting parallel here, which was not necessarily true, but one of the things in the box was a little stone dog with its leg broken off. And I was like, oh, there's our dog. There's Ronan. Oh, nice. Like a little statue that's really important. It made me think of the statue from Middleway, you know, the little obsidian. The Beast of London. Thing they take. There was a lot of like Greek type mythology going on here. Like Persephone was intimated to be a very famous psychic. And so that led me digging on the like Persephone Mm. in mythology. And then the little bit of carved bone that was scrollwork and acanthus leaf, that's something that you see a lot in like Grecian statuary, basically. Um, like, because I was like, what is acanthus leaf? And the fact mm. that Noah was having to hold this little totem to his throat in order to talk, like he had to hold on to this little amplifier all on its own. It made me think of the, oh, I don't remember what they're called, but in the Wheel of Time series, they have these people who can wield the one power and they have these little totems that can like help them amplify it. I can't remember what they're called. 
I guess it's kind of like wands as well, right? Like, so the idea of a wand channeling your magic, you don't necessarily need it to do magic, but... Yeah, it's like a focus. Hmm. I love the connection between Noah and Blue and just Blue and the boys in general. You know, when Persephone says, your raven boys are here and she's like, my raven boys. And she's like, outraged. And they're not. And then outraged. I love that. They're yours, Blue. You fell in love with them. You have to take responsibility for them now. Um, And she's also, of course, the connection for the women at Fox Way, right? Like she connects their powers. She's this whole like, she's just a touch point for everyone. I love that. She really is the table at Starbucks that everyone wants, like she says. Mm. There are a couple other things that I really loved. There was only one crush watch on page 296 when Gansey was talking to his dad and he, he was thinking about all the things he had to do. And he said, what cunning thing he could say to Blue when he saw her next. And I was like, crush watch. You're not trying to impress your other friends that way. Just <laughs> Blue. Um, It was really interesting how Welk connected himself to Noah's murder. Gansey had no idea at that mm. point. And again, we have to ask why Welk stayed there. Like if you just left, you know, now you're implicated in this murder, but if you weren't there, and I also want to know why he called Neve. Like they find this, you know, they find the her little notebook where she'd written that 11 months ago he called her and, it, you know, Blue sees his name. Why 11 months ago? Why is it, is he still looking, like actively looking for the ley line? Because previous insights to him that we've gotten hadn't suggested to me that he was. I think he is. I think the reason he stayed is because he believed that it meant something. Like he did this ritual, but he didn't manage to wake up Capeswater or the ley line, right? But he's mm. got the effect of it so he's hearing those hissing voices and we, we saw that in the last section where like the trees speak latin right yeah gansey can hear them noah can hear them we also know that welt can hear them because he hears them whenever things happen Mm. on the ley line just that staticky indistinctness so something happened that has connected him to them so i'm wondering if he actually is staying because he believes that there's something he needs to do still or if like the lure of it is too much to leave i wonder if he moved away would he still be able to hear the static like would you still be able to hear caves water if you were i don't know in california i mean presumably he had to have gone away to school henrietta doesn't have a university does it that's true so he must have gone away and then come back. like he can't have just started teaching straight out of no high school like he's 24 or 25 in this that's way too young to be teaching high schoolers apologies out there to all of the young high school teachers but i think it would be hard to look enough like a high schooler you could play one on tv and teach them <laughs> yeah i don't know i just found his presence there was so weird turning up right behind gansey pretty much in the same spot or near enough the same spot that he'd driven by him before it feels like stalky was like, he stalking him i can't remember even though i just read this book like two months ago I can't remember if he'd followed him to or his parents' place. Yeah. Because, you know, Gansey's dad talks about there being a break-in. So then my Adam's paranoia is kicking in and I can't <laughs> remember. I think that was Green Mantle, maybe, but I can't remember. Yeah. No, I can't remember either. I just remember being very offended by Colin Fremantle and his ridiculousness. Yeah. He was the kind of wealth that, like, Adam thinks Gansey is. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I don't know if Welk <laughs> followed Gansey. I get the feeling that he did, but I can't remember properly. So mm, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, I just wanted to make a little note of the parallel between Blue arriving at Monmouth and um, Ashley from the previous section, you know, when Declan yeah. brings around. So in both instances, you've got the boys really watching this girl carefully to see what her mm. reaction is to this very masculine space. And I just kind of yeah. love that like parallel. I like it too. I also like Adam being a little bit worried about like the jeans lying on the floor with the undies tucked in them and like kicking them out of the way and like why okay Kenzie you need a couch mate like yeah why is there no couch why doesn't he have a couch who is shedding their clothes immediately as they walk in the door I don't like it um can we talk about how similar Gansey and his dad are so I felt like there was a lot of connections there yeah love it I love the Gansies the connection between the family in general they're all collectors right they're all so passionate about their collections 
But definitely Gans and his dad, the fact that his dad also has a journal and he collects old things and he looks through holes in walls. I'm like, you're just describing yourself, Gansey. <laughs> I actually think his dad is one of those people who doesn't care that much about stuff, mm. but just has accepted, like he, he's passionate about his own interests, but he's just accepted his upbringing as like the way that things are and doesn't do a lot of that critical self-examination, which Gansey's really passionate about. Like he doesn't want to be a bad person. And this is why he resists being too much like his dad. So you have one who's the product of the generation and the other one who's fighting not to be the product of the generation. But I like that they both care about their cars, but in different ways. That's so good. His dad also has one of my favorite lines in the book, which is page 293. Do you have any idea why your sister purchased that hideous bronze plate for $3,000? Is she angry at your mother? Like, I firmly believe that the Gansies are all somewhere on the spectrum because they just don't get things. <laughs> That's so funny. It's really funny, but also this to me that reads is like, okay, Helen has decided that it fits into category plate and therefore it will be an acceptable gift. The mother has a specific other category, which is glass plates, therefore it does not fit. And there's just this disconnect. It just honestly cracks me up because Kansas is like, I tried to tell her she thought it'd be nice, but it's not glass. Like so yep. funny. Yes. Oh, I am this person about so many things and I hate being this person because I'm very particular about stuff. My husband is also this person about things. Like if you give him a fountain pen and it is not the right kind, he is so polite about it, but he will never use it. Well, I think that's just everyone, right? Like definitely as a kid, you know, there was that brief phase, like every girl, I was like, I'm going to be a marine biologist. And so for ages, people would just give me dolphin things, like dolphin presents all the time. Even when I'd outgrown the phase, I just kept getting dolphins. I'm like, that's nice. But like you fundamentally yeah. missed the point of the whole thing. So it's like people yeah. kind of get the tangential, oh, she's into plates, but they don't pay attention to figure out what kind of plates or why she's into plates. Like, no, she's into plates. Yes. Well, exactly. Look, if someone wanted to give me a Noritake tea set as a gift, I would be very grateful, but I would probably put it in a cupboard and not use it. But if someone found me like the dream midwinter set that I've been looking for for like three years, but this is the sort of thing, right? There's stuff that you collect and then there's stuff that's sort of like what you collect, but isn't actually what you collect that. Yeah. yeah and it's sort of when people know that you're into something and they start giving you gifts related to it. It's nice, but it doesn't really work. And then you're in this weird space where yeah. you've got a lot of stuff. It's like me and Harry Potter, right? Like I get so many Harry Potter gifts and it's it's fine, but it's not, you know. You want to pick the things out about your passions that you want to pick out. Like I get that. Yeah, it's that, not yeah. everything that's just got a Harry Potter logo on it. And especially not now. Please do not be buying me Harry Potter things. Unless they're secondhand. Look, just do what I do and get a list and put it up and have the people who want to buy things for you access the list. When the time comes, they can just pick something off the list and tick the box and that way you don't have to keep track of what they're getting because it's gone and then you always have a list of things that you want. I have started a list actually. That's more a list for me to like reward myself when I do things because I'm motivated by rewards. So I'm like, here is the list of all the things that you want. Don't impulse buy them. Once you've achieved what you want to achieve, you can buy something off the list. So huh. when my mum was like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, here is a list. Like I'm 12. Here you go, Santa. Choose, Choose something. something from the list. Look, I ask everybody what they want if they've got gifts coming up, because unless I know firmly, I don't want to get them something they're just going to have cluttering up their lives. Mm. Um, on that note, can we talk about 
Mora. <laughs> okay. Just as a quick aside, this really stuck out to me. So on page 320, they're talking about how Blue's like, oh, I never go up to the attic because Mora mm. is a diehard knot collector, so anything unused was forced upon neighbors or goodwill. And I thought back to page 299 where Blue said, I like to be mm. useful. So I feel like, does Blue kind of wonder that because she's not oh. psychic? Her amplifying power is the only thing that she really can bring to her family? I just kind of wanted to explore that. What do you think? So like the only reason they keep her around because she's an amplifier or they'll ship her off to goodwill. Well, I think they would keep her around because Mora loves her, but I think she has this idea that like everybody who lives at 300 Fox Way either contributes by being a psychic in the practice of the 300 Fox Way psychics or they go off to work and pay rent and how does she then contribute? Yeah, I think that's a fair thing. This is not the first time we've seen her remark on the fact that she wants to be useful or needed, right? Like she had that whole thing in the first section yeah. about being needed. I think she feels like she has to contribute. I think that's a fair reading. Yeah. I think that's also why she's so keen to get out and make her own way and make her own destiny. Yeah. Looking up at mm. the stars, trying to find out what it takes to become a pygmy tyrant studier. Amazing. Um, just back on the, the collection and the cars, it made me think of the pig and how it's such a big presence in Gansy's life and how he's just so proud of it. Yeah. And he also has this really big connection to it because he wants his outside to reflect like his insides feel and he feel like he wants to, the pig helps him do that, like makes him a bit more rough around the edges. It's more honest feeling because it takes work to yeah, maintain Yeah, and I feel it. like that's why he chooses the friends that he chooses as well. Like he could have easy friends, but mm -hmm. he's chosen the friendships that reflect how he feels, which is the, yeah, the ones that need work and presence that's a really beautiful reading I love that especially when his family is so dismissive of his friends like when his dad's like how's the scholarship friend and the Irish friend I'm like whoa the judgment rolling off you here I love the way that he leaves his house and he feels that restlessness like okay I don't live there anymore I'm different now like they're the same I just don't have the patience for them anymore I don't have the patience to be like that anymore I love that he's recognizing that in himself but he also feels sad about it it's normal to grieve when you change and you're growing up home doesn't feel like you're growing mm. up home anymore mm. it's just wild that it happened for him in high school well i guess because he doesn't live at home right yeah i mean boarding school will do this for a lot of kids like i don't think i would be okay with my kids boarding out a lot of kids it's the making of them like a lot of kids really do love boarding and they really find themselves that way i would be super stressed letting my kids board because i like to be present <laughs> as we've discussed i was talking to my friend frank about boarding schools a couple of weeks ago and the idea mm -hmm. that how you would fill your days and how the entire day is just school and like yeah okay you have lunch and then you have got some extracurriculars then you go back to class and then you have dinner at like five or six or supper or whatever it is and then just the entire day is school I cannot imagine, you know, I would leave school at three and then watch the Disney Channel until six when my mum came home when I pretended that I'd been doing my homework. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> quick, turn the TV off. No more Kim Possible this afternoon. Um, I want to talk about Gansey's presence, like his bearing, his demeanour, right? And how it's a malleable thing for him. Like he just turns it on and off. And even he talks about how he has two versions of himself, right? He recognises that in himself, the version who's in control and then the version who's kind of like an anxious mess. I love anxious mess, Gansey. What, can I read the quote? I yeah, love it so much. Do. Page 289. Gansey had always felt as if there were two of him. The Gansey who was in control, able to handle any situation, able to talk to anyone, and then the other, more fragile Gansey, strung out and unsure, embarrassingly earnest, driven by naive longing. That second Gansey loomed inside him now more than ever, and he didn't like it. Embarrassingly earnest. I love it. That's me all the time. I am that idiot, and I love people who are also that idiot. 
so good. I'm way more forgiving of people who are just super excited about what they're excited about than I am for people who are smooth in any situation. But Gansey turns it on. Like, he turns it on when he calls the guidance counselor. He almost turns it on for Welk as well. He becomes this, like, very polite, professional kind of presence when he is in this extremely challenging situation. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, pardon? I don't know if I would be that chill in that situation. <laughs> I think that politeness is his default because it's something that appeals to everybody. Mm. Like that is an anxiety coping mechanism right there to be very polite and very attentive. That's masking, right? Mm. Like he's absolutely masking. Trauma response 101 there because he's detached. Yeah. He's seeing everything like it's happening outside of him. But he's still very polite and very calm and very kind. And that is a well-trained kid to do that, like Mm. to not freak out and to just immediately go into like shell mode. It says a lot to me that he's... His de- default trauma response is to become that polite and that closed down and that smooth. That that's not the real Gansey. Being in control is also like, that means he's not really feeling the things as they're happening. He's kind of dealing with them or not dealing with them. He's like shoving them down. Yeah, that's a fear. Made me sad. It is sad. It's, I always find it sad when people feel like they can't be their whole selves. Like that's the mm. thing with Gansey, right? Like he's either in control Gansey or anxious Gansey. It's hard for him to reconcile the two versions of himself. And the only place he really does that is in the journal, which is why it hurts him so much when that's stripped away yeah. from him. Like that's when he's his raw self. Yeah. Um, I also saw the presence of money in this section, like the doors yeah. it opens, the way that Gansey wields it. But it's also a point of connection for Blue and Adam, the fact that they don't have money. I thought it was so interesting that yeah. Adam was reticent to admit it. Like Blue already knows. What are you doing? And I love that that was the bravest that she felt was saying, I don't care if you're poor, which like actually it's kind of a point in his favor that he's not wealthy. Yeah. one of the But she can't exactly say that because it's a weird thing to say when half of your friends are rich and the other half, well, one's dead and one is not rich. Like, it's a weird thing to say. But it is a point in his favor that he's not Gansey, I guess. It's the reason why she chose to give her number in the first place, right? Is the fact that she saw the fray on his sweater and he didn't look as polished, I guess, as the others. Yeah. And he had his Henrietta bowels. Glow of health that Gansey has where his father's father had been wealthy and his father's father's father had been wealthy and she couldn't tell if he was just tremendously good looking or tremendously wealthy. That's a thing. It is a thing. And also I think he's good looking, but that's just my personal opinion. Hmm. I think he looks friend shaped. Cute. Whereas Ronan does not look friend shaped, but actually secretly is friend shaped. I love that Ronan is always described as good looking though. Like everyone always remarks on how handsome he is. So you've got this yes. real grumpy, you know, kind of tall, imposing figure, and then he's also good looking. It's just like, why are you like this, Ronan? <laughs> who would he be? Like, who would you if you could dream cast him, who would you cast? Any age, any actor, any time. It would be a young Lee Pace. He would be a good Ronan. One of my colleagues is so on board the Lee Pace thirst train. Like, it's out of control. <laughs> I need to get you and Anne talking because my friend Anne is also, like, hardcore into Lee Pace. And she also has amazing taste in music. So I feel like we would all get along very well. But yeah. I find it interesting that Gansey's dad calls Ronan Irish, right? Like, it's weird to me that this Irish thing is such a big thing when he's not actually Irish. Like, he is American. So for that, I'll have to refer you to to my friend Katie, who will probably be able to explain it better because she actually lives in Massachusetts. But Boston Irish is a thing. Yeah, no, I know that's a thing. Like, I know it's a big, big thing. And I feel like that's what his dad is referring to is like East Coast Irish, where it's like Irish is an identity. Which Irish people don't like. Real Irish people from Ireland kind of get like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least he cares enough to ask. Look, I mean, I think it's great that his dad is taking enough of an interest to know that he's got these friends and that he's interested in ley lines and he's not discounting it. I mean, he's so gentle, his dad, even though he's a very different person to Gansey, which I really love. I love that his dad's like, I can't get used to that thing, but he's not upset about his son driving this death trap car. 
No, I love it. I love that they're very, like, they seem very accommodating of his weird ley line mm-hmm. obsession, right? They're like, oh, this is just this thing. Like, plates are the mum's thing, and the journal for the 14th of June, or whatever it is, is the dad's thing. Yeah. Like, 14th yeah, yeah. of April. Yeah. They just, they get that. They get that there's just going to be obsessions, and that's fine. And I love that. Yeah. Helen and her helicopter pilot slash wedding planning business. I honestly... I feel like this sometimes with my friends. Like, I've got some friends who are quite well off. And they will just launch these businesses and they'll pop up on Instagram being like, I've relaunched this business. I'm like, yeah, okay. You've launched, inverted commas, this business. Like, yeah, you have the luxury of just, like, chucking a few grand out there to see if it takes, basically. You know? This is wild to me. Money is a different thing. If you've always had it, it's like water from the tap right when you don't have it you really notice its absence but unless you've lived without it for a long enough time you take it for granted yeah money is an interesting one as well because people the more money people have the more they want to protect the money that they have right that's why you get into this place where billionaires don't want to pay taxes because they're like but it's my money and it's like you don't need that much money yeah it's obscene agreed that's again another podcast where i take down capitalism at this point i think i'd be satisfied if we saw a universal basic income that would be great It'd be amazing. Pay everyone a basic wage so that they can live. Then people won't work. Good. Then they'll have more time to create beautiful art and be with their families. And like the world would be better because they would be able to buy stuff, which is what the whole point of the economy is. It's almost like we weren't put on this earth just to work. Like, what is the point? What am I working for? I don't think people should have to work as hard as they work just to live. Agreed. I think that there are lots of people like in the story who, for example, Welk, could be working more smartly yeah and aren't mm. like he's resentful of all these things that he could have just been like he wasn't implicated in his dad's crimes why on earth didn't he just go and get a finance degree and do the same thing but better he could have fixed so many of his own problems but he's decided to be sad about it basically and sad forever yeah he's not taking accountability for it and no. look i think there's an argument that gansey takes too much responsibility for everyone else mm. but welk doesn't take any of the responsibility for the things he did like he even says to Gansey, you've screwed me. Yeah. Did Gansey murder your friend seven years ago? No, that was you. Yeah. It just, the level of hubris baffling. never fails to amaze me. Yeah, absolutely baffling decision making from Welk. And Noah being so gentle about it. Like, he holds such generosity in his heart for him still. Like, he was my friend. Would you Would you ever think Gansey could do something like this? Which brings up another example of presence, I thought, because mm. Adam, like, jumps in immediately being like, he was your friend, you know, he's, like, so defensive. A friend wouldn't kill someone, right? And because he is haunted by the presence of his vision from the tree. Yeah, yeah. And even Blue Clocks that, sees yeah. that shame across his face. I love that description as well of, like, whatever Gansey was to them, it was bulletproof. Ronan and Adam. I can't wait until we get into the dream themes and we, ne- we can actually see more of how Ronan feels about Gansey because I think that's really important. We don't get any Ronan in this, do we? There's not a single Ronan chapter. Because the next one's all his book, right? For the <gasps> most part. Also, Gansey's like cursing Ronan out when he's like speeding along back to Henrietta and then he's like, Ronan probably wouldn't even care if I was in his position, like, you know, if he cared at all. And then we've got two pages later, Ronan taught me how to fight. Like, oh my gosh, you see you see how Ronan shows his affection. If it wasn't for Ronan showing you how to throw a punch, even though apparently you don't know what to do with your thumb, weirdo, you'd be dead. So thanks, Ronan. To be fair, he had a gun pointed at him. I wouldn't know what to do either. Just don't put it in your fist. Rule 101. Well, and Persephone did tell Blue. A couple of little tangents from me. Mm-hmm. Adam talking about how he won't be kept with the rest of Gansey's things in Monmouth. 
I don't think he actually knows who he is. Mm-mm. So when he says, when I get out on my own, it will be to someplace I made myself. I still haven't seen that bear out. No. I really think it's going to take a lot longer for Adam. Like, if we get the Adam trilogy, it'll be when Adam's like 35. He needs time to grow. Yeah, he doesn't know what he wants to be. He knows what he doesn't want to be, but he doesn't, you know, he thinks he wants to be Gansey, but he doesn't. Like, everything he's going to get, like, he, he thinks he wants off the back of this is not going to make him happy. Because he needs yeah. to be happy within himself. And I know... When you're 17 and someone says that to you, it's the last thing you want to hear. But it is true. You need to be happy within yourself. And maybe it will take him a very long time to get there. Lord knows it took me years. Yeah. Like, I hate to be that girl, but it really was me having kids to kind of make me realize that, like, I had to love myself because they will love me anyway. So I might as well. Like, there was something in that that really did it for me where, like, I am their person and I am worthy because I think they're worthy. That's lovely. So it became this like interdependency where I can just trust their love because of course it's like entire. Yeah. And I want to I want to earn it even though they give it for free. I think for me it was just really kind of accepting myself for who I am instead of trying to fit myself into what I thought other people yeah. wanted me to be. Yes. Because I was very good at that. I was very good at playing the game mm. and trying to be things. You had the two Gansy problem. Yeah, and you can't be your whole self. And mm. there's this fear that if you are your whole self, then that is not what people want from you. But it's the realization it doesn't matter what people want from you, it's what you want from yourself. So I think that's what did it for me. We live in fear of the dropped hand at the party, don't we? Yeah, we do. And sometimes it still surprises me. Like I had this week at work and I was just like I can't believe that people actually think one I'm funny and two put up with me because I'm so full of nonsense and they seem to genuinely like me and sometimes I'm just very surprised by that still because you are funny and you are lovely (laughs) and I quite enjoy your nonsense but you know like when you've spent years and years trying to force yourself to be something else because you think that's what people want you to be and now that I'm my whole self I'm like oh people actually just like this version of me it's still revolutionary to me because it's still new like it's only been two years really that I've been able to do this and it still blows my mind that it's enough yeah it's what I want for Adam he'll get there it just made me sad that he was so determined that he couldn't it's like he has to make himself into something else but like Mm. the only way we can do that is by accepting the support and care and giving it in turn like the independence that he craves is actually not something that he can really make no and it won't get him there either no because if if he wants to be that kind of wealthy he's gonna have to exploit somebody so yeah he will have done it off the back of someone else whether he likes that or not which is not a great realization, but not one he's made yet. Mm. Did you have any other tangential marginalia? Actually, just on Adam, now that you've mentioned it, it made me think of when he was talking to Declan and he was really upset at the implication that he was lying because he's like, he's got yeah. other ways of getting what he wants. And then mm. he immediately lies about Ronan being there. And I'm like, so you've just contradicted yourself. But then I love that. <laughs> we see him using that other means to get what he wants by manipulating Declan. You know, he's like, Declan's getting all up in his business. And he's like, oh, are you going to fight me? I thought that was Ronan's thing, not yours. And Declan yeah. immediately steps back. And there we see that, like, that little manipulation that Adam is capable of. It's really beautiful because Adam really doesn't want to get hit. No. He has enough of that. But he is willing to stand in front of someone with their fists up for Ronan. Mm. That's a huge thing. I hope Ronan appreciates this. That whole thing, he's like, he couldn't let couldn't let Declan into the, the building because Declan was already angry and Ronan had been drinking. Like, he knows these things about the Lynch brothers and he knows that it can only go one way, right? Yeah. Which brings me to my Adam and Ronan watch. Yes. 
Yes. And I had one on page 285, which is when Adam is in Monmouth and he's just sitting around alone and he's like, part of him wanted to lure Ronan out of his room for company, but most of him realised Ronan was, in an unappealing and unspoken way, grieving for Noah. I just love that awareness of Adam. Like, I love that the two of them actually, even though they butt heads, they do enjoy each other's company. They're always off doing silly things together. But he also really understands Ronan in a way that I don't think many people do. So, yeah, I love that. Gamzee understands him and also, like, he's trying to get some form of Ronan back, I think. Adam has only known this Ronan. Yeah. And understands him because he's such a keen observer. Mm -hmm. He's always observing. He's watching Blue to see how she talks about things. He's aware of the situation with Ronan. And Blue understands enough about Ronan to know that she wants his approval, but she also doesn't want to compromise herself to get it. Yeah, which is great. That's where you should be. That is the way you should be. Don't carve bits of yourself off to fit someone else's idea of you. But if you want to be in with someone, there's no harm in looking at how to do that. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that was me. Did you have any in-depth marginalia? Oh, I do. So I wanted to talk about Blue and Noah. Mm-hmm. So on page 306, I actually chose three sections to kind of link together. It's all in a larger part, but I didn't want to read the whole page. So mm-hmm. you're enough now, Blue said. I missed you. And then she was starting to feel a deep sensation of cold as Noah pulled energy from her. The last thing she wanted was to get completely drained like she had at the churchyard. Then Blue held her hand out. Take it, she said. So in this context, Blue is using her amplifier abilities to provide enough energy for Noah to manifest a physical presence. She's also aware that this has like a an effect on her. Like she will be drained and she's like she's got a limited ability, right? She can provide a bit, but she's she's a battery. She's not, you know, an infinite power source. And I love that she's literally helping him become a presence by connecting with him. So it's like theme, theme, theme. Mm. There's something about friendships and relationships and love and like what you're willing to give. And I don't know if I have a related text really, but I think about how these these stories are really just stories about people loving each other imperfectly. Um, And a couple weeks ago, I saw something about how, like, we're all burdens and we're also not burdens. Loving people just sometimes does take work. So, like, if your friend is like, oh, you're annoying me, it doesn't mean you're annoying because everybody's annoying sometimes. It means that you are annoying that person in that moment. And, like, we have to remember that even though we aren't perfectly loved and cared for and, like, people don't have these limitless reserves, we still are valuable and we still are important to them. So I think that, you know, loving people does take work, but it's worth the work. But we also have to be careful about the work we put in because, as I've said about a million times, we cannot serve from an empty vessel. Mm. So I love that Blue is aware of this. She wants to help. She has this ability to help, but she is trying to get Noah's focus so that he doesn't just take and take and take what she doesn't really have to give. So I think going forward, I'm just going to try and remember that like, I'm going to be a bit more cognizant of my own boundaries, but still I want to focus on how to best be there for the people in my life who need me. Mm. It's just a really beautiful moment between Noah and Blue, and I loved it. Yeah, I love that moment when she said, you're enough now. Like I drew a little box around that because it really stood out to me. You know, you're good enough as you are. The people who love you will love you. Yeah. And she doesn't want him to die for real. That was the other part. She would do so much to keep him around, which I really love. She's a good one. So how about you? Did you have a marginalia this week? I did. So mine is on page 310 and it's quite long, so forgive me. But he was full of the restless, dissatisfied energy that always seemed to move into his heart after he visited home these days. It had something to do with the knowledge that his parents' house wasn't truly home anymore, if it had ever been. And something to do with the realisation that he hadn't changed. He had. So the Mm. context is that Gansey is driving back to Henrietta after visiting his parents for his mother's birthday. Which was a bit fraught, as family events often tend to be. Plus, you know, he's had all these things weighing on his mind. Noah, Ronan, Glendower, all of it. So he's feeling a bit out of sorts as he's driving back. And 
I think in terms of the theme of presence, this is an example of Gansey being present in the moment, right? He's sitting in his yeah. own feelings and he's trying to understand why he feels the way that he feels, why he's so unsettled. And also yeah. I think it ties into our overarching theme of connection because he's there's this thread of connection with his parents and his family and where he fits and how it connects to who he is now with who he used to be and what does that mean? You know, there's a lot of soul searching in that little passage. Um, it kind of reminded me a bit of Neverwhere, right? When Richard goes back to London above at the end of it and he realises that he doesn't fit. Things don't really make sense anymore because he's fundamentally yeah. different. And I think this is something that almost everyone wrestles with, this idea that your family home is not home anymore because fundamentally you aren't the person who used to live there, right? And yeah. often our parents don't see that. Um, they still see you yeah. as the way you were. I mean, I certainly spoke to you about this when I was in Perth, especially <laughs> when I was there longer than I thought I was going to be when I got stuck. Yeah. You know, we fall back into these roles. We become our teenage selves again. And it's so bizarre how we fold to fit into the spaces we've been allocated. And I think mm. when we find ourselves with friends or family we haven't seen in a very long time, sometimes there's this compulsion to just fall back to what we used to be, to go back to what they know of you. Because otherwise there's this like, yawning chasm where you're just strangers and regardless of how much blood or shared experience have passed between you you can still be strangers and that's really scary yeah so I think going forward it caused me to be more mindful of who I am when I'm re-entering old spaces like whether it's meeting mm. up with friends I haven't seen in ages or visiting family I think it's okay to be different it's okay that it feels a bit weird to be different because you know, there is a grief and there is a change, but I don't have to fold myself up to be a version of myself that I used to be to fit that space. I think it's fine to have that I've changed and I think it's fine that other people have changed as well. We shouldn't be performing yeah. this idea of each other. And we don't have to be afraid of losing things either. You don't have to hold on to things that no longer serve you. If change means that old spaces don't fit or that you're no longer able to connect with people the same way, I think that's okay. It doesn't make that past experience or relationships any less important or real or valuable. They served a purpose, they were valuable at the time, and that's enough. You know, it's just the changing of the seasons. Things don't have to stay the same or last forever to be valuable. I love this so much. This is a really hard one for me as well. It's really hard when you try and connect with people as you are and they only see you as you were. Mm. Something I really struggle with, so I'm going to really think on that. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Well, who would you like to spotlight this week? I'm going to spotlight our anxious little cinnamon roll, Gansey. <laughs> Thank you. I just feel for him. He's trying to hold it all together. You know, he's at this family thing. He's trying to pull Ronan along. He's trying to just like keep everything churning forward. He's worried about his friend. And then he has a gun pressed against his forehead. That is not a good time. And you know, no. he's already an anxious mess. And now he has this to add to it and a broken thumb to boot. Like give the boy some peace. He deserves it. He doesn't need this. Welk is out of line. Big hugs to Gansey. The man needs like some R&R. &R. Yeah. Gansey-cation. Absolutely. Everyone just chill out for a second. Gosh. For real. Do your homework, Ronan. How about you? I am going to spotlight someone that I find really difficult in this text. I'm going to spotlight Neve. Ooh. I think she's really in over her head. We didn't get to talk about it very much, but what I really caught from this text, this particular section, was that Kala and Persephone and Mora have gone back for years and years and years to before Blue was born, and they have this amazing tradition of sisterhood, but Neve is kind of all alone in that, and mm. she's relying on Mora's hospitality and like their sort of code of honor or whatever among these psychic women where like if you turn up and you need a place to stay you can have it but the fact that she doesn't have this support system is actually giving her a lot of trouble like it, it makes it really hard for her to thrive it's a lack of connection mm -hmm. to the right things that's creating this sort of emptiness that she's feeling I think and, and just 
I really felt bad for her because she's gotten herself into a situation she's not going to be able to get out of. Mm. No, that's a good point. Like, it's sort of because she doesn't have that connection, doesn't have anyone else mm. to lean on that she goes down this dark route, right? Yeah. And there's very much that echo of Adam in that as well, right? Like, he's at the cusp mm. now where he could choose to go entirely his own way or he could continue with the connections. And what you choose really does make a difference. Yeah. Choose people. Choose others. It's a good spotlight. No man is an island. We've said it before. Firmly believe it, man. Yeah, there was a lot in this. That's a big section. And it keeps on getting more real in the next one. So we'll be reading chapters 35 to 39 through the theme of hesitation. Can't wait for next week. Thank you so much for this. Me either. It's going to be so good. Or so heartbreaking. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll find <gasps> out. I can't believe this is only episode seven. Like, <laughs> I feel like everything's going to happen in the next week, but it's actually like three more. No, we've spaced it out at the end quite well. It's a lot to delve into. Yes, I can't wait, though. It's going to be so good. I love that we've left enough space for us to really chew over every little thing that happens. Amazing. Very excited. It's going to be so good. Well, thank you, Jen. This was great, as always. And thank you also for the impromptu Taylor Swift education piece. That was great. You're very welcome. Thank you for um, indulging me and watching the video as homework so that we could discuss it. <laughs> love doing homework. Everybody else, this is your homework. Jen will put it in the show notes for you. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.